What you've been listening to is the Grand Tonometer, 616 tuning forks that are located at the um, National Museum of American History. Richard Chartier, a Smithsonian Artist Research Fellow um, and sound and installation artist, discovered these when he met with curator Stephen Turner, um, curator of physical sciences. So how did you both start working together? Um, originally, I had been asked by Lynn Myers, another uh, visual artist who was a Smithsonian Artist Research Fellow last year, to come and join her on a tour of the uh, collection of physical, the physical science collection, scientific instrument collection, and meet with Stephen. And uh, so we came down and saw all these amazing instruments that were used for the uh, kind of the, the visualization or explanation of uh, sound and the physical nature of acoustics. And we were walking around, and you know, one one item was even more amazing than the next. And then we finally got to this one item. He opened this big cabinet, and there is the Grand Tonometer, which is the collection of 660 tuning forks, which range uh, four octaves, I believe. And it was just absolutely amazing to see. And uh, first thing I thought was, I have to do something with this. I have to somehow record this. Um, and I asked Stephen, you know, oh, well, how many of these are there in the world? He goes, oh, well, that's, that's it. That's the one. And so here was this amazingly unique object from 1870 to 1875 that was in the back, you know, in storage. And I just, I really wanted to do a project with it. And so I worked with him to figure out what that could be. And we, I came up with recording every single one of these tuning forks and other uh, instruments by Rudolf Koenig. Stephen, can you talk a little bit more about the tonometer? Of course. Um, the, the tonometer is one, just one of a group of instruments that were made by uh, a French instrument maker, Rudolf Koenig, who worked in, in a quiet area of Paris in the, in the second half of the 19th century. And Koenig was probably the greatest acoustic instrument maker uh, to have ever lived and, and also a, uh, an important scientist in his own right. And he would create these instruments to pursue his own research and to engage the scientists of his time. The, uh, the tonometer is remarkable, as, as Richard said. It it's essentially covers four octaves at, at four and eight wavelength intervals between the forks. And each tuning fork was, was handmade by Koenig in, in, his, in his home, which was also his shop. He had a, um, a special laboratory in the top floor of his, of his house where he would... Uh, test these tuning forks and file them down until they were absolutely perfect and they're, they're the, the most precise tuning forks ever made and it's, it's, I was really looking forward to Richard's reaction to seeing such a, uh, such a representation of 19th century science. So Richard, as an artist, what fascinated you about the tonometer? What fascinated me about the tonometer was not only that it was the only one in the world but that it was a device that was used to create, you know, the perfect pitch, these sine waves. When what I do normally in the past 10 years, I'm sorry, uh, since 1998, was using a computer to digitally create sine waves and waveforms, and really starting off with a basic sine wave as the, the building block for everything I created. So everything was created inside the computer. There was nothing external about it. And the idea of 
of working with the tonometer and the physicality of it was mm -hmm. this was the representation of in the physical world of what I've been creating digitally. Uh -huh. So I like that idea. Um, most recently, I, I did a recording uh, called a F uh, Fields for Mixing, and it was a collection of field recordings that I had done over the years and created into a, a long piece. And so I was getting interested again in trying to explore the physical nature of what I was doing rather than the purely digital. Mm -hmm. And so I, when I was recording these uh, 660 tuning forks, which is a lot of tuning forks to record individually, and a lot of you know second takes and third takes, I was trying to get them very, very perfect. But then I was thinking, well, that's me trying to create recreate something that I would do digitally. And then I realized, why don't I just record what I can and get the best sounding one, but then keep in the flaws or, you know, what I would consider flaws in a digital file. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it gave a very natural feel to it, very a humanist feel um, to the recordings. And I think that's, it made me, it changed the way I, uh, I work. I was actually interested in these kind of these flaws. Mm -hmm. And when you <clears throat> when you work with these artifacts all the time, Stephen, how does working with an artist and hearing an artist's point of view about them has it changed the way you think about them or impact how you think about them? Richard and I joked about this as as he was working on these because the instruments in our collection, the physical sciences collection, are. They used to be called philosophical instruments, and they were, they were created to lead you to a certain kind of understanding about the physical world, um, a, a rational explanation, exploration of, of, in this case, sound and, and how it was produced, how it interacted with other sounds, and a little bit about how it was experienced, but really more the, the physical nature of sound. But Richard's approach was completely different. He was starting with the idea of the experience and then manipulating it from there. So I would find myself, as I was showing him other instruments in the collection, I would be trying to direct his attention towards one particular phenomenon that the instrument was desi designed to produce. And he was inevitably looking at the wrong end of the instrument and, and asking some question that I had never even considered. So it, it, was, a, it was a challenging, challenging in a good way. Um, and in, in a certain way, a liberating way of looking at these instruments because it was so completely different from what I had done before. Now, your background is as a, as a scientist, is that right? I'm, I'm a historian, and historian. My, de my degree is in philosophy. Oh, in philosophy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you end up working with these collections in a way. It, it's almost perfect for me. Um, as I said, they were originally, um, prior to about 1850, they were called philosophical instruments. and. The, the generally men who made them were called philosophical instrument makers. Um, and that's, that's really the, the way that I see them, I suppose, in, in the most fundamental sense, is, is uh, uh, philosophical lessons and this, this deeper understanding of the natural world. What I found interesting when we were working together is uh, he talked about, Stephen talked about how these would be presented to people, like all these different, not just the grand tonometer, but other uh, instruments would be shown in what was considered sound seances. And I loved the idea of a sound seance where you're almost like pulling these things from the ether, you uh -huh. know, and they're communicating with you somehow. Uh -huh. um, 
so while I was doing these recordings of, of other instruments, I was thinking about that because there's, you know, I've got, there's all this history to these instruments and then they're kind of, you know, put away and there's, it's almost like, um, not revisiting them, but re-communicating with them. Oh, cool. Communing, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Based on the experience of working together, um, how do you, you know, what has it, you were talking about you're going to be working on a new piece. Um, how has it impacted the way that the new the way that you think about what you do with sound and installation? I think for the the piece that will premiere on October seventh at the Hirshhorn mm -hmm. in the auditorium, um, the structure I'm still thinking structurally the same uh, when I'm creating a work, but the I think the physical nature of the sounds and how you know when I process them. There's still a very natural feeling to them. There's a, a very natural resonance. It's not artificial. It's not digital. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is kind of there's kind of a warmth to it mm -hmm. in a way that I think may not be present in a lot of my other works that are purely digital. Mm -hmm. um, so the same kind of structures, uh, but working with a completely different set basically a set of a different set of instruments right and and uh, Stephen what about you you were saying that you might something might have come out come out of this experience as well in terms of v very much so I mean the this uh, Richard is the first artist in residence that we've had in this collection and so um, my colleagues were very much interested in, in how this experience would go and, and uh, what would come out of it um, uh, and, and we've benefited from the attention that our collection has gotten, and particularly the collection, the attention that the town Grand Tournometer has gotten. Uh, it looks like we're going to be putting a web project up and possibly exhibiting it uh, uh, with some concert, and together with some concerts or other musical events. So there, there's, we're, we're just starting to have that conversation, but I, I think we're going to get some programming um, uh, visibility out of this, which is always welcome. Okay. An interesting thing that I, I like to think about is that artists are also involved with research and they're also involved with um, testing their own hypothesis, just like a scientist. And I wonder if, as, a, as, as someone who works with a, um, a physical science, as, as a curator of physical sciences, is there something that you can take from an artist's process? And apply it to what you do? One of the things that I, I try to include in my work and, and to bring forward to my colleagues is the fact that these instruments were made to be used to produce specific effects and that you can't really understand them without without using them, without producing these effects and, and talking about the ways that these effects were then understood by the people at the time. Oh. Um, Richard, as, as a modern viewer, a modern consumer of these effects has a completely different point of view and this this sort of for me it increases the the, the historiosity of the instruments um, to compare them I can go back in books and see how these instruments were understood but then to have, see an informed modern observer reacting in a different way is as I said before, it's somewhat liberating for me or, or, or empowering in, in the kinds of research that I do. And Richard, is there anything that you would take away from working with someone who works more with artifacts and thinks of it in more historical terms? Well, just the opportunity to be able to come towards a, or go towards an instrument and 
not go at it just as a, you know, oh, that's a beautiful thing, or I could use that somehow. It's really putting a the element of history into it. And mm -hmm. I think that all of Stephen's knowledge gave me a greater understanding of what exactly the place of these instruments was, mm -hmm. and still is. And it seems like it kind of, it seems like the parts that you got from it also it sparked some of your ideas and in, in ways like this seance yeah idea exactly like, like well it all it to me it was kind of this kismet thing where it all fit together like this was the perfect instrument for me to be dealing with mm -hmm. um two of the other major goals of, of this the artist research fellowship was to uh record all these things so there would be a recording of the grand tenometer because no one had ever done that so mm -hmm. these will once I finally finish editing these, which is still a while away because just it's a, a long and arduous process, and I intend to have these donated as a sound archive, a 24-bit sound archive to the uh, Smithsonian oh. for their use, and then also to work with uh, with Stephen against somehow to present an installation which incorporates the the recordings, uh, an interactive piece, so people can kind of activate the tonometer, uh -huh. for example, without touching it. So oh, cool. it just seems like it keeps, it, I keep thinking of more things <laughs> because it was, it was just so inspiring to, to be able to work with not only the tonometer and, and Stephen, but all these other devices and things in storage. And, um, my curiosity is very peaked. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you both for talking to us about this and, uh, I appreciate it.